Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Chronic Fatigue and Burnout Recovery Podcast. I'm still navigating the challenges of a new laptop, so I'm hoping that the audio will be satisfactory today. Still trying to play around with the settings a little bit to really optimize it. But all of that aside, today I wanted to talk about weight gain and chronic fatigue. This episode is specifically aimed at those who are looking to lose weight towards the end of their fatigue recovery journey. So I have previously recorded a podcast on weight gain and chronic fatigue, which was episode 33. And in that episode, I spoke a lot about the reasons why people gain weight when they are chronically unwell. I talked a little bit about body image, and I talked about how to understand that when our weight changes and that makes us feel really uncomfortable and distressed, often that's because we need to work on our nervous systems in the shorter term to support ourselves with the natural body changes that will happen as a consequence of being unwell. If you're someone who's really in the trenches at the moment working on your health and working on your health and your fatigue recovery, now is not the time probably to really be focusing on weight loss. Weight loss should not be the priority. Your health should be the priority first and foremost. But what about those people who have gained weight or their body composition has changed due to their health journey? And now they're coming out the other side of that health journey and they're wanting to change their body composition. They may be wanting to lose a little bit of weight. How do they go about doing that? Or if that's you, how do you go about doing that in a way that is safe, in a way that is effective, in a way that is not going to bring up old patterns of conditioning relating to restriction, dietary restriction, or over-exercising, what is a framework that you can use in terms of changing your body composition as you come out the other end of this healing journey? That is what I want to focus on in this episode today, although I will recap very briefly some of the aspects I talked about in episode 33 because they still could be an issue for you now. So it's worth bringing this to your attention or just a little reminder about other things to have on your radar as you possibly consider losing weight. Weight gain is something that so many of my clients ask about when I'm working with them one-on-one when it comes to addressing their chronic illness. And for the most part, most of my clients are in the early stages of their chronic fatigue recoveries. The message that I tell them most of the time is we have to focus on your health first and as your health improves and your capacity to exercise improves, your weight will likely change as well. It's very often not the answer that most people want to hear, especially if they have a lot of discomfort that they're feeling in their body in the moment here and now, but we need to put health first and anything that sacrifices your health just so you can drop in a few centimeters or a kilo on the scale or reduce your body fat, it's not worth it. If you've been going through some sort of chronic illness experience, health should always be your North Star and your decisions should always be made in alignment with that North Star, what is the best possible thing you can do for your health. So I want to start off by saying that first and foremost, 
health always comes first. And especially if over-exercising and under-eating was one of probably many different factors which has influenced your health in the first place, we really want to make sure as we come out of this illness experience or this healing experience that we're not just repeating the same patterns that we had in the first place and the same patterns that possibly contributed to poor health in the first place. So all of that being said, the next thing I'd like to touch on is just the reasons why people gain weight when they are chronically ill. And I've gone into these in episode 33 as well, but just to touch on them again. The first one is a sedentary lifestyle. It's a very overly simplistic view of weight management and weight maintenance. But if we're eating more and we're not expending energy through physical activities, then people put on weight. Healthy people put on weight when they eat too much and they don't exercise enough. So just the sedentary lifestyle that comes hand in hand with being chronically unwell can be a contributing factor to weight gain. Obviously, we can mitigate that weight gain by making sure we're not overeating or comfort eating, but that can be challenging as well at times, especially when so much has been taken away from us and now we have to restrict food as well. But as you become more well and you're able to move more, you can eventually meet your caloric intake with caloric expenditure and that can facilitate weight loss in the longer term. Another reason why people gain weight with chronic illness is loss of muscle mass. So because we're sedentary and because we're not able to stimulate our muscles through movement, we can lose muscle tissue and as a consequence, metabolic rate slows down. So in my own journey, I had a lot of digestive issues. I had a lot of malabsorption issues. So I wasn't moving, wasn't absorbing my food. I wasn't stimulating my muscle mass. And it was ultimately just a recipe for loss of muscle tissue. So that contributed to a reduction in my metabolic rate. And then even though I kept my intake the same, I still gained fat and my body composition changed because I just wasn't able to build muscle at the time. My body was not in a healthy enough place to build the muscle mass that I had lost and I was losing. Another reason why people might gain weight when they are chronically unwell is due to metabolic dysfunction. And this basically means suboptimal functioning of the metabolism. And it may show up clinically as things like blood sugar imbalances, insulin resistance, or even type 2 diabetes or cardiovascular disease. But the consequence is essentially poor use and metabolism of fuels and an increase in fat storage. So we may store fat in fat cells, we may store fat in the liver, we may store sugar in the liver. And if we fill up our sugar stores, then we convert sugar into fat, which then also gets stores. Metabolic dysfunction at its core is commonly a consequence of overconsumption. So usually this is overconsumption in general or carbohydrates specifically, but it can be fats as well. 
And therefore, one of the ways we can avoid weight gain due to metabolic dysfunction is to consume a balanced intake of calories, which means that we're not consuming too many calories for our energy expenditure. And we're also not exceeding carbohydrate intake for our unique tolerance. And that's defined by our blood sugar monitoring. So if you're eating a certain amount of carbohydrate in your diet, even if it's not that much or it's good quality carbohydrate, but you're getting a lot of blood blood sugar highs, potentially blood sugar crashes, that shows that there is metabolic dysfunction. So we want to optimize blood sugar balance and make sure we're not over consuming foods as a whole. But metabolic dysfunction goes over and above just calorie consumption or carbohydrate consumption. There can be issues in the gut or there can be dysfunction in the liver, which can also contribute to metabolic dysfunction. And so even with some of my clients who are like eating pretty well and healthy, they can still have some metabolic dysfunction due to gut imbalances that they have or due to issues with the liver. And this is where we kind of need to get into the nitty gritty and address all of these things. So if there's toxic overload, if the body is overloaded with toxins, whether those are toxic chemicals or maybe there's mold issues, then we need to think about how do we support the liver because that can be another reason for weight gain and chronic illness. And we also need to consider what's happening in the gut. Are there infections? Is there an overgrowth of bacteria, which are also producing toxins? And what does the gut need to function optimally? Because that can then impact the metabolic function. And then if the metabolic function is optimal, then we can have better fat burning and fuel usage. So there's a few more things, for example, nutrient deficiencies, because nutrients are the biochemical steps in all the different metabolic pathways. If we're lacking in specific nutrients, then these pathways are not going to work as well. That influences metabolism and can lead to weight gain. There can be hormonal issues, a big one obviously being low thyroid hormone, which is a common cause of weight gain. And I would assume that you know anybody who is struggling with fatigue would already have had their thyroid tested, but if not, it's definitely something worth testing just to rule it in or out as an issue because if you are somebody who is experiencing fatigue, you do want to make sure that those thyroid markers are optimal. Then we've got a couple more so medications. Some people have to take medications. For whatever reason, medications in some cases just help people cope with their day-to-day. -day. In an ideal scenario, it would be great if you know everybody was off medications and we didn't need to use them. But sometimes we do need to use medications and sometimes these medications have side effects in certain people for different reasons, which lead to weight gain. And so if I've got a client that's on a medication and they believe that that medication is causing weight gain, then I always refer them back to their doctor because I cannot advise on medications. I'm, that's beyond my scope of practice. But I would always say, you know, if you would like to stop your medication, you should have that conversation with your doctor, or maybe your doctor can recommend some alternatives that would um, not have the same effects on your weight. And longer term, as health improves, you may be able to wean off your medication or reduce the dosage of your medication under your doctor's supervision. So again, the goal is to get healthy enough that you don't need the medication anymore. And then finally, comfort eating. So when you're not well, Sometimes food can be a comfort. 
And yes, we may want to have better nervous system regulation and we may want to be able to support ourselves in other ways and comfort ourselves in other ways. But we all need a treat from time to time. We all need to eat foods which are pleasurable and enjoyable. And it can be really hard to follow a restrictive diet when you have been chronically unwell, especially when the preparation of food is a challenge in itself. I am somebody who is incredibly disciplined when it comes to food. For the most part, I have treats and I enjoy nice foods from time to time. But if you are somebody who really struggles with emotional eating or binge eating, it's something that's actually preventing you from getting better. It's something that's stopping you from your journey as a whole. Then I feel that that is a separate issue that needs to be addressed head on with somebody who specializes in this area. Ideally, some sort of somatic therapist who works with emotional eating or binge eating disorders, somebody who could really help you with this. That being said, we should all be allowed to have certain foods from time to time. Obviously, if it's a case of somebody having an autoimmune condition or there's a brain injury and there are foods that really significantly impact your body, those foods should be avoided. But there's always ways to have treats amongst you know, all the other um, options that we have, even if you know it's not the same as what everybody else is having. So that was really just a little introduction to things that can affect our weight. And those things are still things that can affect your weight, even if you are a healthy, quote, air quotes, person. So even somebody who doesn't have a chronic illness can still have weight issues. And those weight issues can be because of a sedentary lifestyle, because of medication, because of gut imbalances, because of hormone imbalances, because of toxic overload, because of metabolic dysfunction, because you don't have enough muscle mass, or because of other um, disordered eating patterns or blood sugar imbalances. Even though I've explained those different variables in the context of chronic illness, we still have to be aware of those variables as we aim to lose weight, even if they weren't variables we specifically looked at as part of our fatigue recovery. If you are somebody who's following some sort of weight loss protocol, maybe like the one I'm going to discuss in a moment, and you're still not seeing progress, then it might actually be worth considering some of these other things and circling back round to health and thinking about how you can support your health, even though maybe the goals have shifted and the primary goal is weight loss. So where I'd like to go next is just to talk about my own weight journey with recovering from chronic fatigue syndrome and mold illness. So before I had chronic fatigue syndrome, I managed my weight probably like most women do with exercise and diet. And I had always been somebody who was very heavily into exercise, probably excessively so to the point of overtraining, which was a contributing factor possibly in my illness experience. But kind of closer towards the end of my before I transitioned to being fully unwell, I guess you could say, I was resistance training two to three times a week. And, you know, I was eating, I'm a big fan of calories and macro plans. I was kind of eating a sensible amount of calories and a sensible amount of macros. So I thought, and when I realized I needed to stop exercising, like probably most women would be that I was concerned about how my body may change. But at the same time, I also transitioned to a low carb and then eventually a ketogenic diet 
to support my health, not to support weight loss. And through actually doing that, I lost weight and I was able to maintain a good amount of muscle mass from the resistance training that I had always historically done. So I started my journey from a place where of having a lot of muscle mass. If you're somebody who was never engaged in resistance training or never well enough to engage in resistance training, then you may be starting from a very different place. However, after I had my big and unknown mold exposure, I had suddenly just, it's like something switched overnight and I suddenly started gaining weight despite nothing else changing in my diet and in my exercise regime. And I mentioned previously that I also started to struggle with chronic diarrhea. I know I was very, very nutritionally depleted. And as a consequence of that, my whole body composition changed. I started to lose muscle mass, but I was gaining body fat. And all the weight that I lost in the initial sort of year of my fatigue recovery journey, I gained that back completely but now with less muscle and more body fat. So I was a lot more squishy than I was before. And although it bothered me, I also knew that that was just something I had to surrender to because I knew that the priority was my health and that any attempts I was going to make to actively try and lose weight would probably be sacrificing what I needed to do to look after my health. The changes that I was experiencing in my body to a certain extent were beyond my control. And the most important thing was doing what I needed to do to be well again. And when I was well, then I could worry about my weight. And that is the exact guidance that I give my clients. So since becoming more and more well, I did turn my attention back to weight loss. And that's what I'd like to share more details on. So if you're somebody who is now in the stage of your journey where you are able to exercise again, your body is getting stronger then the rest of this podcast is essentially for you. Or maybe you're thinking about one day when you get here, what you might do. Um, but before I go into that, I'd also just like to say that there's a few reasons why I wanted to lose weight. There was, you know, people, you could see a photograph of me. I actually look back now at some of the photographs of myself, like I took little training videos of myself at the time when I was building up my strength just for tracking my own progress. And you would look at me and you'd be like, you're fine. Like you don't need to lose weight. But I know my body and I knew that my body was used to holding a lot more muscle mass and a lot less body fat. And although my appearance was quite small and some would say even quite slim, I knew that my composition for me was off. So that was the first thing is I just do generally prefer to have a lean, more muscular, more athletic appearance. But additionally, there was also part of me that was thinking, if I stored all this body fat when I was making lots of mycotoxins or when I was a, had a high mycotoxin load, how much toxicity am I holding in my body with this higher amount of body fat? was almost kind of like a little bit of a test like if I can lose this body fat now am I going to also support some sort of detoxification in my body and is that going to be better for my health overall I wasn't quite sure but I was just sort of thinking well how many mycotoxins are knocking around in these fat cells and if I can drop some body fat how would that contribute to my overall sense of well-being and you know, that was just the thought process I had at the time. And 
can't say for sure, but I did kind of have this sense that like whenever I felt like I dropped a little bit of weight on the scale, I would often not feel so good for a few days. I would say I felt like a little bit more moldy, just kind of a little bit more achy and brain foggy and fatiguey, nothing major. But, you know, every time I kind of felt like I'd made another little drop in body fat, I did kind of feel like I was, there was just more, I was feeling a little bit more toxic in my system. So what was my approach? And so it can be so tempting, especially if you've come from this background of like exercising really hard or dieting really hard to want to go back to that same conditioning. And that's why I wanted to create this podcast today is so that you can see if that's what you've historically done. There is another way you can approach weight loss as you get to that stage of your fatigue recovery. But the most important thing I want to lead with is that you have to have patience. And hopefully some of that patience you've cultivated anyway through your healing journey so far. And just know you're going to have to take that same patience and bring it with you to this journey as well. My kind of I'll put in air quotes, like weight loss journey per se, was about 18 months. And the two most important parts of that were firstly, building up non-exercise activity thermogenesis known as NEAT, and secondly, building muscle mass. So NEAT or your non-exercise activity thermogenesis is made up of all your non-exercise activities each day, as the name suggests. So this could be your daily step count, but it also could be other activities that you may be doing. So it could be chores that you do around the house. It could be gardening. Maybe you play with your children or you play with your pets or you walk your dog. So all of these different things, you know, cooking, cleaning, all of those things, they all make up your non-exercise activity thermogenesis. And it's likely that when you were unwell, especially if you were very unwell, your NEAT was low to zero. And part of fatigue recovery is actually building capacity first and foremost to do your NEAT. And if you haven't rebuilt your NEAT, this needs to be a priority before you consider anything else that's too demanding in your life and before you consider actively chasing weight loss because NEAT is going to be such a big part of your daily caloric expenditure, which you're going to want to lose weight. So for me, my NEAT in this journey has been aiming for about 8,000 steps a day. Sometimes I do more, at least once a week, I probably do a little bit less. I just give myself a break. But that 8,000 steps, it's just measured on a Garmin, which I wear all day. So it's also just counting like steps around the house when I'm washing the dishes or cleaning or doing all the other things that I do each day. But for the most part, it's 8,000 steps a day, but that 8,000 steps includes chores at home. So the first step is get to a point where you have a good need. And I've set you a guideline for mine, but some people may need to be higher. Some people may need to be lower. It's very much about working out what your body needs. So once you have your needs, then the next step is to build muscle mass. And muscle tissue is going to be your weight loss superpower. The more muscle mass you have, the faster your metabolism and the better you are at burning fat. 
So it can be tempting as you come out of this fatigue recovery or health recovery experience to go straight into dieting as soon as you feel even slightly strong enough to handle it. But actually, my guidance would be to avoid any dieting for as long as you can and instead focusing on eating a maintenance level of calories, which means that you're eating about the same as you expend each day. And within that maintenance level of calories, you're consuming adequate protein, which is one gram per pound of ideal body weight, and then making sure your blood sugar is balanced, and then adding in resistance training at least twice a week. So this is what I did probably for the first year of my quote, air quotes, weight loss experience is I made sure that I had my needs sorted when I was ready to I introduced resistance training very slowly and instead of trying to diet I made sure that I just ate enough fuel so I was feeding myself enough so that resistance training could allow for weight gain muscle gain specifically in order to be at all effective, you'll need to be able to resistance train at an intensity that will stimulate muscle growth. And it may take time to build up to being able to actually do this. So I was heavily into resistance training before my fatigue experience. And even with the knowledge and the experience, it actually took about six to nine months of resistance training to be able to tolerate the intensity of the exercise enough to gain muscle mass. So I was working out for six to nine months before I really felt like I was building any sort of significant muscle tissue. Obviously, all bodies are different, so don't necessarily think that a lack of experience puts you at a disadvantage. Sometimes when you don't have as much experience, the body can be much more easily stimulated, at least in the beginning stages. So for now, I think don't be discouraged by this, but this is where the patience comes in. Really be patient enough and understand that this is going to take some time. While I was building up my exercise tolerance, I focused on eating protein and eating enough calories to match my energy expenditure, if not more. So sometimes I was eating more energy than I was expending each day. And then over the course of about six months, I gained seven pounds, so about half a stone. If you're working in kilograms, about three and a half kilos. And I was the heaviest I had ever been. So just to break that down, I resistance trained for six to nine months just to build up my exercise tolerance enough that I could then stimulate muscle gain. Once I got to a point where I could stimulate my body enough, I trained at that level for six months, eating the same, if not more, than I was expending each day, and I gained weight. And that was the point because I was aiming to gain muscle mass in this time. And then the dieting was the cherry on the top. So now I'm like however many months, maybe 15 or so months into this journey. And eventually I'd given myself a good amount of time, at least six months to build some muscle mass. And at that point in time, I went into a calorie deficit. And so I'm someone, I really like hard data, I like structure, I like to do things quite precisely in a very structured way. 
the whole time I was doing this, probably asking, well, how did you know that you were eating in a deficit or how did you know you were at maintenance or in surplus? We can never know for sure, but obviously have a Garmin watch and I was using that to get a sense of how many calories I was burning each day. And then additionally, I was tracking my food in the MyFitnessPal app to get a sense of how much protein I was eating and how much I was eating each day. And so when I was at my maximum, I was eating probably between 2,300, 2,500 calories a day. And then when I went into a calorie deficit, I dropped that by about 10 to 15%. So I was eating, I think I started at about 1,850, 1,900 calories a day. So it wasn't an extreme calorie cut. And for the first two weeks, nothing happened, like absolutely nothing, no shift on the scale. There was even a little part of me that was like, is this even working? But I just trusted the process. So focusing on adequate protein, keeping carbohydrates at a level that supported blood sugar control, and then keeping the calories really consistent in a small deficit, 10 to 15%, and then being patient trusting the process. And I did that for a whole month. So 18, 50, 1900 calories for four weeks. And I think in that time, I lost a couple of pounds. And then I actually had a holiday in the middle. But fortunately, it was a very active holiday. So although we did eat a lot more than what we would what I would have been eating had I been in a calorie deficit, I was also expending a lot more energy doing lots of like hiking and walking and At the very least, that holiday, I was probably in maintenance for a week, but I actually still lost weight. So I probably was in a deficit that week. Despite eating more, I was moving more. Then at that point in time, after the holidays, I just dropped my calories down, I think another 100. So they were about 1700, 1750, then continued like that for another four weeks. And at that point in time, I was done. I was just really happy with the results I had achieved. And Due to various travel, the summer, social events, etc., I just started eating quite normally again. And even actually after eating normally again, I still did lose a little bit more weight after that point in time. So eventually from where I started my fatigue recovery journey, I lost about a stone. I put on that stone again. Then I gained even more weight on top of that stone while I was rebuilding my muscle mass. And now where my weight has come down to, I am somewhere in between my lightest weight in my fatigue recovery journey, which wasn't a healthy weight because it was when I had already started to lose muscle mass and the weight I was before I started. So I'm in a really comfortable weight for myself now. Could I lose more if I really pushed myself? Yes. Do I need to lose more? No. But I'm just in a really good place where I'm happy with the amount of muscle mass I have. I know I can maintain it with the diet that I'd like to eat. And this whole journey has taken approximately 18 to 20 months, so almost two years. And I had to be healthy enough to do it because if I was trying to push myself in the gym or go to the gym when I shouldn't have been going or if I was restricting calories too much when I really just needed to take some pressure off my body and slow things down, my body would not have been very happy with me. 
But why I really wanted to share this with you today is just to understand the journey. And it can sound like a really slow process. You think 18 to 20 months. But when you learn to enjoy the process and build a healthy relationship with your body and exercise and food as you do, the time just goes by and you're just kind of doing all these things, but they're part of your daily routines. They're part of your daily lifestyle and you can just enjoy the journey. So in summary, I'll just summarize here, is the main things we want to consider if you are thinking about losing weight as you navigate your health experience, you really want to ask yourself, is this the most important thing for me to be focusing on now? Because there may be other things you still need to do, whether that's detoxing or gut work or balancing your blood sugar or getting better sleep or your nervous system needs more love and care. So be really honest about, is this the right time? And if the answer is yes, this is the right time, then the next question you can ask yourself is, how is my need? Do I need to build up just my step count to begin with? Do I need to be more engaged in the home in terms of chores and activities of daily living? And then once you've got those kind of baselines, the next thing is to resistance train. And different people have different attitudes to resistance training. I come from a resistance training background, so it's something I love. It was something that was very easy for me to slip into. But if it's something that you've never done before, it may even be worthwhile working with a, an appropriately qualified trainer or some sort of coach or even seeing a physio, even building up initial strength with some Pilates so that you are making sure that you're safe. And then if you can get to a stage where you are stimulating your body enough a couple of times a week, even maybe three times a week if you can, then you also want to make sure that you're eating enough fuel. So that would be the next question to ask yourself is like, am I eating enough? Am I getting enough protein? Am I getting enough calories to support my body so that I can actually build muscle mass, which is going to increase my metabolic fire? And then I would say to hold yourself steady for at least six months, if not longer, of training well, eating at maintenance, possibly even surplus if needed. And then if you're going into a calorie deficit, it shouldn't be a long-term thing. I did a total of eight weeks with a holiday in the middle, and my deficit from maintenance was about 10 to 15%. Just for mathematical ease, if your maintenance calories are 2,000 and you take 10% off that, that's 1,800. If you take 15% of that, that's 1,700. So that's a starting point. And you want to give yourself at least two weeks of being consistent with that before you even think about dropping your calories lower. So consistency is the name of the game. Might depend, depending on how much weight you lose, you may want to do more than eight weeks, maybe 12 weeks. I probably wouldn't want to go longer than 12 weeks. And especially if you notice that other things are starting to suffer, like you're getting a lot of cravings, you're no longer able to be consistent, you're starting to feel unwell in other aspects of your health. That's a sign to back off and go back to your maintenance calories. Then you can hold at maintenance for another six months and do another cycle of deficits. So if you're someone with a lot of weight to lose, you may need more cycles of maintenance deficit, maintenance deficit, 
And this journey may take longer. It may take you three years. But if you can just enjoy the process and, and not see it as something that you, that needs fixing or changing, but more so it's just a process that you're engaged in to get the most from your body and the most from your health will make it so much more enjoyable and so much easier as well. So a little bit of a different episode today because I know it's not for everyone, but I hope you have enjoyed listening and you've got some ideas about how you could approach weight loss when it is the right time for you in your journey. And I will see you again in the next episode.